Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL Strategy Show, Wednesday edition. It's October 7th, 2020, and I'm Dave Lockren. With me, Matt Gajeski, Kyle Dvorak, taking a first look at ownership, breaking down all of our favorite stacks and favorite pivots as we work our way into week five. And we're happy to have all of you guys with us, as always. Pardon the appearance, by the way, moving some things around going to be setting some stuff up so everything will be looking different on my end in the next week but it's going to take a little while until we get there matt we'll kick it off with you man uh how you feeling and are we or should we be concerned about more tests coming back positive after everyone tested negative originally i myself am doing great and as of right now we still have a full slate of dfs no cancellations yet so excited yeah, about sorry that. you didn't have any positive tests come back i'm talking about the nfl <laughs> no i by me, you know, me as a DFS player, you know, right. I am very worried about these, these tests for my, for my own standpoint and what I'm going to do this weekend. But yeah, so we haven't had any cancellations yet. I think we'll probably wait till, I don't know, last, when did they cancel the game last week, midweek or so. So I, I think we're good for now. We still have stuff to break down, which is positive. And I, I guess we'll see, hopefully they get a grip on these COVID protocols. So we don't have to go through this every single week. You can't help but wonder how much just faulty testing is playing into this. I don't know, but it sure feels like they don't necessarily have a foolproof system here. But that's okay, Kyle, because, well, we're going to just go ahead and assume everything is normal for now. That's our job. Uh, and we're going to attack every spot and every game as we normally would. How are you feeling about week five once again coming into a slate where we have uh, astronomical totals. Now, some of them are relatively low. Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, Rams, Washington, for good reason. Colts, Browns. There are a few games, Dolphins, Niners, that are getting uh, relatively low totals comparative to what we've seen so far in 2020. But then again, you've got a few teams with implied totals north of 30, 34.75 for the Chiefs, 33 or 32.5 for the, the Ravens, 31.8 for Dallas, and even the Houston Texans at 0-4 are sailing above that 30-point mark. It's going to be a lot of chalk and, once again, a pretty high-scoring week for my first view. Well, you fire Bill O'Brien, you got to at least put a few extra implied team total on the board. Like, that's, uh, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you could say it's a short-term hindrance in terms of their continuity, but, I mean, man, Bill O'Brien, not a good coach. But glad, glad to see him get out of there. Worst not, GM, in fact. Not only is he a bad coach, Kyle, he destroyed the team, and then they got rid of him. So it wasn't just like, I, oh, it, it didn't work yes. out. See you later. Things are as they would have been prior to you coming. Uh, I tweeted yesterday, it's like an F5 tornado ripped through Houston, Texas, and now you're left to clean up all the damage. Yeah, I mean, he might have, you know, people are going to rag on them a lot for not having a first and second round pick next year, but I think they have an extra fourth in 2022. So congratulations, <laughs> team. Yeah, we're seeing, you know, back to the FS, we are seeing a lot of chalk on, I, like I hate to say it, there's some obvious spots, like the Dallas Cowboys are getting a ton of ownership. I don't know, maybe it's because Dak is literally on pace for over 6,000 passing yards. This is insane. He's not even throwing an absurd amount of touchdowns. I think he's on pace for like 36 and 12 on the ground because of his 1-3 touchdown game but his yardage totals are just 
mind-boggling. I mean, literally historic. So it's interesting to see how we are going to approach, and the same with uh, some of the Chiefs look like they're going to be very highly owned. Interesting to see how we approach these spots because outside of week one where Aaron Rodgers was low-owned in Smash, it has been, what is it? Is it Russell Dak, Russell Dak? In terms of pretty chalky quarterback and stacks, just smash, smash, smash. They've done it. They've gotten there. And we've seen other chalky quarterbacks not make the optimal, but like Josh Allen has been modestly popular every week and he's done well every week he just hasn't quite had that 40 point game that you know Dak had that got him into the optimal lineup but man the chalk has hit at the quarterback wide receiver stacks pretty consistently I think some of that you know it's it's four weeks it's it's a bit noisy it's obviously noisy through four weeks but some of that is just the predictability of Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson cooking every week so interesting to see how you guys approach it I have some ideas on how I want to approach it but it's creative a bit of a different DFS landscape at least in the short term yeah, Kyle makes some good points, Matt. And by the way, just to just to be exact, Dak Prescott's on pace for six thousand seven hundred and sixty. Oh my god! Dude, I thought it was sixty seven hundred. I was like, I can't be doing the math. Like, that's too high. I'm gonna stay over six thousand. Dude, I asked somebody on yesterday's show, is he on? Is he on pace for an all time high? And they're like, I don't know. What's the all time high? I said, I don't know, but he's on pace for almost seven thousand yards. That has to be the pace for the all time high. But Matt, Kyle talks about. Um, you know, the predictability of Dak and Wilson, let me take that a step further. The predictability and the complete ineptitude of the Dallas Cowboys defense and to a large extent Seattle's defense has played right into that script that, hey, Dak and Wilson are crushing it, but they're actually forced to crush it. Dak specifically is forced into that into playing that role in every single game he's played this season. Yeah, it's really interesting to look at. They have a lot of players on injured reserve that they'll actually be getting back in the coming weeks. Shadobe Wuzie, Anthony Brown, Leighton Vander Esch, Sean Lee. There's multiple guys like this. So I'm curious to see how their defense evolves in the coming weeks. We talk a lot in DFS, and I know Alex Osmo himself has talked about this a lot, approaching chalk specifically, and it's an always changing landscape, so we need to evolve as we go. But not just trying to win every single week, but picking outcomes where if you do win, your payoff is massive. So trying to reach that first place prize, you know, if you just eat chalk every single week with Dallas, the chances you actually take first, I mean, you're competing with however ever many people also stack Dak. So I still think trying to find those low probability outcomes that will put you into first, or at least give you a better shot, are at least worth considering in the short term still, even with the chalk monster games that Dak has put up. Yes, sir. And, uh, I'll be the first to tell you a couple of weeks chalk has, has bit me pretty It has bit me because I've gotten away from some of it. And the, the, the thing is, and again, what Alex will usually tell you is on the lowest scoring weeks is when he usually does the best, because that means that most of the chalk ended up not hitting. And it's a very good point. You could say the same for baseball, for basketball, for football, the lowest scoring weeks oftentimes will result in much less chalk uh, being at the top 1% of tournaments and a lot less uh, lower-owned plays. With that in mind, let's make the transition. Matt, I'll stick with you here. We're talking, um, we're talking chalk at the uh, at the top of our ownership projections right now. They were updated, so we've got our first run. Pretty excited about that every week to get a good idea of what it's going to look like. And as always, disclaimer: they will be fluid throughout the week. You will see some adjustments for many obvious reasons. But as of now. Coming in at the top, Matt, you've got Mike Davis, 28% for the Carolina Panthers. Who needs Christian McCaffrey, man? They're 2-0 without him. They're 0-2 with him. I'll tell you what, I've seen all I need to see. Christian McCaffrey, take back his money, ship him off somewhere else, and all we need is Mike Davis in Carolina. I can't, but at the same time, he has been incredibly productive. It's a real shame that Bill O'Brien's out of office. You could probably get a first and, you know, Deshaun Watson form, but you're right about Mike Davis. He's actually performed, I think, above expectation. And now we get Reggie Bonifon on injured reserve. And I think that does matter. Bonifon wasn't taking a ton of work there, but he was taking some. Davis was already running around on 71% of Bridgewater dropbacks. His just in the passing game, his role is absurd. Eight, nine, six targets. If you just look at raw opportunities, carries plus targets, he's 22 in back-to-back games. Now he gets to go against Atlanta's defense, which we talked about Dallas's defense being ravaged by injury. Atlanta's arguably worse. 
Yeah, they are arguably worse. It's good. This game to me, Kyle, is one where we talk a lot about getting away from chalk. A serious question here. And I tweeted about Kyle Anderson. Yes. Uh, two days ago. I'm sorry, Robbie Anderson, a couple of days ago, he's been outstanding and you know, he's fourth in reception, seventh in targets, uh, fourth in uh, yards per route run first in yards per route run. If you're including everyone with 20 plus targets, like he's been spectacular uh, and he's hauling in 83% of his passes. When you look at this game in general, I can't help but tell myself, I'm willing to eat the chalk. If I get burnt here, that's okay. But DJ Moore at 6K, Mike 22%, Mike Davis at 6,400. I get it's a little bit expensive and he's getting owned, but the Atlanta defense is in shambles right now. What were they on their, their 18th safety by the end of that Packers game? Uh, they struggled across the board. Now Carolina has improved defensively. Their pass rush has been decent against bad offensive lines, but is there any way that, I shouldn't say any way. Is there any way you want or any reason that you would want to get away from a game with, with two inadequate defenses uh, and, and two teams with very solid offensive weapons? Yeah, no, you, you laid out all the points. There's no reason to get away from it. I think the most, maybe the most important point that uh, we haven't touched on yet is that Teddy Bridgewater's ownership is modest. It's well under 10% right now, despite the fact that his weapons are going to be highly owned, which is clear that they should be highly owned, that the spot is great. The volume is there for both Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, who's still top five in air yard share, top 20 in target share. Hasn't quite hit in the past few weeks, but I'm still going back to it. And it looks like his ownership says that, you know, people will be generally on that train as well. I think actually, yeah, he's going to be popular, but you can get different because nobody, or at least a very small portion of the field feels confident in Teddy Bridgewater, despite he's played well. He's completed over 70% of his passes in the past three games. He's got three scores. He even put in one on the ground. Like this is an offense that is firing on what their version of all cylinders is. They don't have, you know, a world beater quarterback, but Teddy Bridgewater can get there. He's not expensive. He gets you off of the chalky quarterbacks and he allows you to play DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, even Mike Davis, who talked about it already is getting a ton of targets. He allows you to play these guys and still be different because nobody or very few people relative to the popularity of Moore, Anderson and Davis is going to be on Teddy Bridgewater. So I think that's just like a simple market inefficiency that you can capitalize on that if you want to play these guys, you should just be double stacking. And I think this is a unique scenario where you can even double stack with the running back, but you should just be double stacking your DJ Moores with your Robbie Anderson and uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I think that's just a simple inefficiency in the way ownership is shaking out that you should capitalize on. No question. And Matt, uh, Charlie in, in, in our super chat says, why do people hate Robbie Anderson? I don't think people hate Robbie Anderson at all. Uh, I think they were enamored with DJ Moore and a dirt cheap price tag thinking that he's got to turn the corner. I think he will turn the corner and I love him this week, but I don't think that he should currently be projected for almost twice as much ownership than Robbie Anderson right now. For sure. Their target shares are essentially the same. And Robbie Anderson actually has a few more targets on the year. And he's the one that's produced of late. Just looking at their last game, Anderson, 11 targets, DJ Moore at six. They're essentially the same price. DJ Moore, 6K, Robbie Anderson, 5.9. It flat out doesn't make sense that their ownership is projected to be so far apart at this point. All right. So if we stay at the top of ownership, right now you have Davis and Moore and, and Ridley up there. Uh, my only assumption is that Ridley will continue to to gain ownership in stacks, even at 7,500, assuming Julio Jones is out. And I don't have any reason to believe that he's going to play, Matt. But Ezekiel Elliott, here we go again, $7,800 on DraftKings, weighing in right now, just shy of 28% ownership. The games have gotten away from him on the ground, but he has become as game script proof as any running back in the league can possibly be targeted a whopping 26 times over his last three games. It is really salvaged and mitigated what some what would be awful performances on the ground. He doesn't have a hundred yard rushing game on the season. He's eclipsed 90 yards only once, and he's failed to equip 60 yards in each of his last two spots. Only 26 carries over his last two games because of the deficits they've played with. How do we attack somebody like Ezekiel Elliott, knowing that he has the very high floor, but also the very high ceiling that we just simply haven't seen yet due to how these games have flipped on their head? 
I think he's fine. I think part of the rushing concerns are due to offensive line. I mean, Cameron Irving's on injured reserve. They, they have Lyle Collins on injured reserve, and they just lost Joe Looney. So that's three starting offensive linemen right away. But you can absolutely target Zeke. He hasn't quite put up the big games, partially because Dak taking those rushing touchdowns again. But Zeke is still averaging over 23 opportunities per game, and a lot of those are now coming from the air. His workload as far as a pass catcher in just the three weeks is comparable to like Alvin Kamara, who was an absolute lock when he was on the slate last. He's only 7,800. I think you just play Zeke and we know how bad this defense is. You're getting a piece of this Dallas offense and it's arguably coming at, I know he's supposed to be highly owned, but you still might get some leverage here off of the other players like Amari, Dak, and some other highly owned plays. All right. So Kyle at the top of the running back position right now, you have Mike Davis, but outside of him, you're looking at Josh Jacobs at 6,300. Uh, and then you have Ezekiel Elliott. I, I know Damian Harris just rushed for over 100 yards against Kansas City. Uh, the New England Patriots did a very good job of doing their best to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands, controlling time of possession. Seems like a very high ownership ta- uh, price on Josh Jacobs right now, likely having a lot to do with that $6,300 price point. And I know he's been a little bit involved in the passing game. And I know that we don't always want to try and project game script, but man, I'm worried about this game getting wildly out of control just with the way this Kansas city team should be able to beat up this Oakland secondary. You tell me where you're at on Josh Jacobs at the second highest ownership overall of any player this week. Yeah, I'm probably out on him. It sounds like you are at least lower than the field. I'm not saying playing zero of him, Yeah. but in terms of, I like, I like Clyde Tolaire far better for 500 more, far better. It is the exact opposite where he's playing on the opposite side of the ball and they should have no problem. Like I'm, I'm fine with projecting game strip to the extent that I think Kansas city is significantly better than Las Vegas. I don't know what the point spread will end up being at the end of the game when the clock hits zero, but I'm imagining Kansas city wins this game fairly confidently. And when you look at uh, like pro football focus, but a handful of other sites have, have very similar metrics of just expected touchdowns based on usage. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire leads the entire NFL, or at least all like skill position players, non-quarterbacks, that is, in differential, meaning that he has scored many fewer touchdowns. I think it's coming up on three fewer touchdowns than he should have based on both his rushing and his receiving total. So he's got some some good receiving lines in the past. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Last few weeks and just hasn't converted that into touchdowns. What better spot than when they have a crazy, like, over, I think it's, like, over 32 now, implied team total versus Las Vegas team that has a fairly weak defense. They're at home, massive favorites. Everything sets up for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to be an absolute smash play. I would have thought that the ownerships on these guys would be flipped, and I get the Josh Jacobs price is, is patently bad. He has a good receiving role now. He's had a good receiving role in almost the entirety of the season. But I just think the game script doesn't favor him. He hasn't had a crazy, like, he he hasn't had Mike Davis targets. He's not a crazy valuable receiving back. At least he hasn't been since that week one where I think he had six catches. It's like four, three, three. So for me, Clyde Hilaire for a discount and ownership for only a modest increase in price in a way better spot on the opposite side of the ball, I'd much rather pivot to Clyde Hilaire. I don't think Jacobs is a bad play. I think his ownership is warranted based on the price, but not to the extent that I like Clyde Edwards Hilaire much, much more. Yeah, 34.75 implied total for the Kansas City Chiefs. What? I, I'm, all, I'm certain that's, got, that's the highest we've seen all season. It has to be. Uh, if not, someone can remind me which one was, but almost 35-point implied total is, is bizarre, uh, which leads me to our next guy as we work our way around the top pop players at the ownership pool, Matt. And, and we're not going in order of position today. We did that yesterday, and then we'll break everything down in matchups tomorrow. 
Uh, and then you guys will hit on FanDuel Strategy Show tomorrow as well. It's a great show. Recommend everyone checks that out. FanDuel specific. We need one of those shows because we do spend a lot of time on DraftKings. Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey are both 25 and 26% owned projected respectively right now. With that monster total for Kansas City, uh, Travis Kelsey does always make sense. But Darren Waller, the way that Kansas City has done an outstanding job of limiting opposing receivers this year, Matt, and Darren Waller's bizarre, absurdly high target share, like, do they, can they limit him here? Or does it still make a ton of sense at sub $6,000 to load up on Darren Waller in a game where they'll almost certainly be playing uh, from behind? And even if they aren't, they got to target somebody. Yeah, I think you can make the case both ways. Kansas City is pretty variant in their personnel on the defensive end. They play a lot of big nickel where they'll get three safeties in the game, so they can actually match up fairly well against tight ends. They're also getting back Bashad Breeland at this point in the year, and he's one of their better corners. They haven't had him. So their secondary can stack up against anyone, and Oakland doesn't exactly have the bodies as far as, you know, Henry Ruggs. We'll see if he plays. As far as other skill position players that have enough talent to really open things up for Waller, we saw the Patriots take him away. It's conceivable that the Chiefs would do the same. At the same time, you don't see tight ends receiving 8, 16, 4, and 12 targets in their first four games. If I had to make a choice between the two, I would definitely side with Kelsey here, just a fraction more in price, but I think the matchup for him is a lot better, if that makes sense. Sure. Same question to you uh, briefly, Kyle. When you look at the two tight ends, we generally don't see two tight ends that are both getting this much ownership, right? They're four and five, respectively, in overall ownership right now. Uh, is that warranted? Yeah, I think with uh, like the way tight ends have been playing is like we've had two weeks where you could basically take zeros and still crush because tight end scoring has been so flat. I think a lot of that is on the fact that Travis Kelsey has not been on a main slate very often this year. He was supposed to be on a main slate last week. That doesn't pan out. So like when you have um, uh, Adam Troutman score zero, this is 2,500. That's not a, a large price. The week one, it was Robert Tanyan, I think, was like in the number two Millie lineup just because it got you on the right stack. I think it was, in the winning, it was the winner in the the, the $500,000 slant as well with Robert Tanyan yeah. in, in, first, in, in the first place lineup. So, yeah. Yeah, because tight end scoring has been fairly met. Like Darren Waller has been one of the exceptions, but like we saw, we saw the Patriots take him away. I think this slate is obviously going to be much different with Mark Andrews on the main slate, Travis Kelsey on the main slate, and Darren Waller. I would say, though, I'm much in, in alignment with Matt, where you've got 500, find the 500 more dollars and go up from Darren Waller to Travis Kelsey. When you get access to the incredible, like 34 points, it's insane. You could have a two to three touchdown game from Travis Kelsey. We've seen not only we've seen like, you know, Las Vegas isn't going to put up as many points. Darren Waller isn't a scoring machine. I don't know if that's randomness or if it's like Julio Jones, where the sample is large enough where you can say there's probably a certain amount of signal that Julio Jones is going to score less touchdowns the same way with like Robert Woods versus Cooper Cup. When you get access to so many more touchdowns by playing Travis Kelsey for just $500 more and essentially the same ownership, it's within 2% of the same ownership. I'd be pivoting most, if not all, of my Darren Waller ownership to Travis Kelsey or going down to cheaper plays or just lesser owned plays. I've got to throw it out there, too, though. George Kittle, man. I, I, I know that I know that he's a little bit more expensive, but I, I said this yesterday, and you guys may disagree. That's okay. That's why these shows are fun. He's the best tight end in the league right now. Like, I, I – I have no problem saying that George Kittle is the best tight end in the league right now. It's a conversation we could definitely have because the argument to be made for someone like Travis Kelsey still very much stands. But from a fantasy standpoint, uh, George, there's no tight end I would rather have than George Kittle, especially given the, the lack of weapons they can utilize in that San Francisco offense. So what do you make of him, Matt? Again, we don't have to get into that conversation. I'm sure that would go well into the night, but at 6600 only $200 up from Travis Kelsey against the Miami Dolphins. Does George Kittle not, you know, look a little bit appealing at a $200 increase and far less ownership? I'm with you. For what it's worth, I actually think he's the best tight end in football. My man, there we go. The Dolphins are allowing the most yards per pass attempt in the NFL. I think we can stop there. Kittle has, like, I think the easily the highest target share. It's not exactly the biggest pie. I think the Chiefs and the Raiders will both throw more this week. But as far as target share goes, I think George Kittle has them bested. And again, that matchup couldn't be any better. 
Right now, 5% ownership. That's got it. That, that has to balance out a little bit more. If, if Kelsey and Waller come in at 25 plus percent and Kittle's down there at 5%, um, you know, in large part, my decision has already be made, been made. Let me ask you this, Kyle, before we get to some pivots here. We have eight players above 20% in ownership right now. One of them is David Johnson who saw his routes run cut in half last week. He saw his uh, running back carry share go from like 73% to 62% with the return of Duke Johnson. Bill O'Brien's gone and he's still getting ownership because he's $5,200 against the Jacksonville team. That's allowed the most red zone running back carries in the league. Just got carved apart by Joe Mixon who had a better game on Sunday than he did with his first three weeks combined. I could continue rattling off reasons that Jacksonville's defense is inadequate in every phase of the game, but David Johnson also hasn't proven himself worthy. Do you think Cornell goes to a more run heavy approach here? Do you think Johnson gets the workload? It's a tough decision to make. It's tough to really weigh uh, flesh out because we don't know what's going to happen with the new head coach but he's up there above 20%. Yeah, it's definitely an ambiguous situation given that we don't have, uh, you know, we have the coaching incongruency. But, like, imagine being Romeo Cannell, seeing your, what was your your head coach getting fired and then thinking we need to run the ball more despite the fact that we have Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but ownership seems to think that David Johnson is going to kick the ball a lot. And he probably will, but you mentioned it. Like, the, the comeback of Duke Johnson wasn't completely insignificant. He will play a role. It could be a modest role, but it can also be a role that caps his upside, David Johnson upside when I know I have multi-touchdown upside for a bit more of a price in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, even less of a of price hike to Kareem Hunt. I think you can even look down at like Damian Harris seeing a decent amount of the run there. Only 4,300, he's going to be low owned too. I just think that David Johnson to me at his ownership right now is a guy I can completely feel fine being off. We saw it last week. I'm not sure the ownership ended up shaping out because I know we had like the late Leonard Fournette rule out. But last week I was fine baiting David Johnson. Now they have Duke Johnson back. I'm not sure, you know, the, the Jacksonville matchup is great. We saw, but like if I'm basing the entirety of my philosophy of playing David Johnson on matchup, I just can't do that relative to having a bunch of awesome plays. Like Josh Jacobs, despite the fact that I said I'm not crazy interested in him, much better play even for a price increase. The same with Mike Davis. I can only get the chalk on so many, so many players, and David Johnson just doesn't make the cut for me. Matt, same thing to you. It's been really tough with, with David Johnson, and it's not like he's been in particularly bad spots. The same argument can be made for Kenyon Drake coming off a cupcake matchup against Carolina. Um, you know, ultimately, do you go with matchup or do you worry about volume and say pretty much what Kyle said? Hey, there are other options out there. I don't really need to run the risk, especially if he's going to come in as, as, as chalk as the eighth highest owned player on the slate. Yeah, I, for me, I'm getting away with him. I don't have a ton to add to Kyle. The volume concerns are enough for me, and that team's overall efficiency is bad. Plus, you have options in that price range as well. I mean, just in, in the 5Ks, too, you have Todd Gurley in a fairly nice matchup, and he actually kind of stole back some of those carries that he looked like he was losing to Brian Hill. So if you're just playing the opportunity cost game, there's options down there as well. I don't think David Johnson's a lock. Interestingly, I noticed this last week, he was our highest owned player going into Wednesday and he ended up being around 20% on his ownership was essentially cut in half throughout the week. So I'm interested to see if that's just a function of pricing initially elevating David Johnson, people's perceptions aren't quite as high as the initial ownership run. That's a great point. He came down a lot. Yeah. He was up around like 40 some percent, right? I think he was up around like 45%. So. Yeah. And then he ended up like sub 20. Yep. No, it's a good point. I read something, I think it was in PFF, uh, and it made a good point that Deshaun Watson has really struggled when the plays have broken down. Because when plays break down and you have DeAndre Hopkins, you can get yourself out of so much trouble. Brandon Cooks isn't the type of guys that when a play a guy that when a play breaks down can bail you out. Uh, and I think that addition of speed to the offense is great when you have protection and your guys are creating separation. And when it's not working, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So definitely something to watch going forward. And maybe that does result in more emphasis on the ground game going into a spot against the um, against the Jacksonville Jaguars where they're six and a half point favorites with a 30.25 total. Uh, I will say this much though, Kyle, that game got pushed below seven 
which is pretty significant. Seven being a key number in the betting market. It's at six and a half now. So there has been a significant, the betting market significantly uh, favoring Jacksonville in this one, if it's going to push down through that seven point number. Yeah, that's, I wonder if that's just a, a, like a general market reaction based on the, maybe not the firing, but just the overall dismay of this team, disarray of this team going. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's not necessarily that like it, maybe it is, but I don't think it's necessarily that Jacksonville projects as a great team, a great matchup. More than just the the overall stink on the organization. Oh, Houston it's an indictment terrible. on the Texans. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think it's just a, a specific indictment on how bad they look as a team. And I know they they played a handful of tough matchups. Like obviously, Kansas City and Baltimore are I don't want to say not winnable games, but they're projected to lose those games. But they didn't play like the eighty-five Bears two times in a row after that. They played the the Minnesota Vikings and Pittsburgh. Who Pittsburgh is good, but they're not unbeatable. And Minnesota's bad. So for me, yeah, this is quite interesting. Maybe maybe that gets you onto some more like James Robinson potentially. Who even had a good like has had good catch totals in recent weeks. So for me. I think this any amount of, of hype around Houston has to be tampered. For me, it's very obviously David Johnson being the chalky plays play. But uh, even if like uh, Deshaun Watson's coming up as more popular, I'd probably be inclined to get off of that. I just Texan team looks like this is a lost season, man. It's bad, and the worst part, they have nothing to look forward to in terms of draft picks. Like there's there's nothing there. You know, and that's that's the that's the biggest thing. You can't tank this year and then go and draft somewhat first or second or even fifth overall. You got nothing. It's it's really brutal. Uh, anyway, Matt, let's make the transition to some pivots here off of the chalk. Remember, one of the full-out matchups column tomorrow, Matt Savoka and myself, these guys will be breaking everything down on FanDuel. Friday and Saturday, we've got strategy shows on the contrary, and then a three-hour marathon of content from 10 a.m. all the way up to 1 p.m., uh, Eastern time on Sunday with our deeper dive and our live before lock hit that thumbs up. If you haven't done so yet, uh, it helps us greatly. As you guys already know, uh, combat this YouTube algorithm, subscribe, hit the notification bell as well. I think only like 40% uh, of the people that watch our videos are actually subscribed, but Hey, why not subscribe? If you don't like it, it's one button to get out of that misery. All right. So running back position, talking about some pivots here, Kyle just mentioned James Robinson, and he has been the biggest revelation of anybody this season, whether they're playing with the lead or playing from behind. I know he's getting up there in price, but he's eight and a half percent owned right now, Matt. I can't, I can't help but look at him and think this guy is completely taking over the backfield workload. Uh, Chris Thompson is seeing less and less opportunities. His snap count has come down from 45 to 24%. James Robinson at 76% last week. Uh, the opportunities both as a rusher, getting all of the carries in the backfield, and even a pass catcher with 14 targets over his last three games is really opening things up for him to have some big performances. Maybe we should be paying more attention to James Robinson and less to David Johnson. Well, I think that's true for sure. I'm still not really that interested in James Robinson. When you look at this team overall, they have 14 and 18 total run plays in their last two games, which isn't fantastic. And I don't think James Robinson is like, I don't know, Mike, I was going to call him Christian McCaffrey, but I guess we have to say Mike Davis now. And at that price point, I mean, you're talking about opportunity costs of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Kareem Hunt, who we haven't touched on. There's a lot of guys in that range. If I play James Robinson, it's going to be because of ownership, and we'll see how that shakes out during the week. Overall, I like his opportunity share. It's fantastic. He's going to see all the work. But how big is that to begin with? What are the scoring opportunities for this Jacksonville team? This week against Houston, maybe they'll be there. But normally a running back like this isn't someone I target a lot. Look, I don't – I'll go to you here, Kyle, and then you can get to some of the pivots you really like for this week as well. I don't even disagree with what you're saying, Matt, but I just – think it's important to emphasize the type of volume that he's seeing because you know look 21 total looks last game he's seen 20 plus total looks in two of his last three the the opportunities have been there uh fully but the price is coming up to a point where now you have to make that decision between a lot of really other good running backs and uh, i think that's more than a valid statement but hell houston's houston's defense has really struggled on the ground 
Yeah, I don't think he's like a terrible play. Like you said, the volume has been there, but the price is coming up. People are seeming to get a little bit of ownership on him. He's like right around like the fringe of top 10, maybe like top 15. I've got I've got one for you that I am actually surprised for the exact same reasons. Price coming up, you know, but volume coming up is maybe the key the key factor here. Ownership isn't congruent with that. Jared McKinnon, 5,800. I believe he saw 13 carries and caught seven balls last week. Jack Wilson was complete after that. He had one catch and three carries. I know the price has come up, but the ownership doesn't reflect that. And oh, baby, the Miami matchup, even if you don't want to look at like defense, like defense versus position, which is relatively unstable, the one thing that would reflect, and it does reflect well, is that Miami is not going to be winning this game. They're eight and a half point underdogs at San Francisco. Jared McKinnon is set up in a smash spot. We saw last week, this all assumes that Raheem Mostert is out. I, I, we haven't got any update on him yet. I'm not sure we see him. And if we don't see him, I am like lock button Jared McKinnon with, uh, you know, sub 2% ownership. I'm not sure if anyone has any strong takes on whether Raheem Mostert comes back or not. I'm, I really don't know if we have any reason to believe he does come back yet. If Jared McKinnon is going to be a workhorse versus Miami at 5,800, that is a price I'm more than willing to pay. Oh my God. Yeah. It, it, you, you're going to get the workload from him for sure. Now I will say this much. Uh, our ownership projections have Raheem Mostert projected in, so I, I definitely Oof. think that, Oof. yeah, that Tevin Coleman's ownership would come up. But I, I'm with you on a spot like that against a, a, a Miami team that has really struggled to maintain possession of the football. But Ryan Fitzpatrick's done a great job of getting the ball out quickly. Otherwise, he'd be in a coffin right now. They they have been completely enabled uh, of protecting him in the pocket. So you know, I, I think also, why do you think Tua, why do you think we haven't seen him yet? They don't want to be cleaning mess up off the turf. So uh, I think that's a, one of the biggest reasons we're seeing that happen. Matt, what are you doing with some of the pivots at running back? Well, uh, Kyle stole the best one. Again, it's all contingent on whether yeah. Moster plays or not. Otherwise, we haven't talked about Kareem Hunt at all. Now, that is going to be a run-heavy game, I think, no matter who's leading. I think both Indianapolis and Cleveland have shown they have a strong willingness to run the ball when they're leading. What I like about Kareem Hunt is his involvement in the pass game. He didn't exactly display that last week, but he has a strong track record going back to last year of being the main pass catching back, even with Nick Chubb in that offense. He's 6,500, so he's sitting right in that range where we have Mike Davis, where we have Clyde Edwards-Slayer, where we have, you know, but there's a bunch of backs, James Robinson. And for some reason, I mean, 14.5% ownership is not terrible on him, but people don't seem to be giving him quite as much buzz. What do you think on Kareem Hunt? I think Kareem Hunt's really, really fascinating this week. I have a lot of respect for the Colts' uh, defense, defensive front. And matter of fact, Ben Rossi even mentioned yesterday that he's not super confident that Kareem Hunt is going to be the, the workhorse back with, uh, with Nick Chubb out. It's hard to say. Sal Vetri was on the other side of that. I'm undecided. Dearness Johnson, Kyle, and we can throw Matt's question over to you, did have 13 attempts last game. I don't know how much of that was the fact that Kareem Hunt, they were trying to limit him a little bit because he was dealing with a few minor ailments and they were up by, you know, 30 points or whatever insane number it was. If this game ends up being competitive, and I assume it will be, does Kareem Hunt handle the lion's share of, of opportunities, especially as a very talented pass catching back? There's reason to think that, man, this guy could see 25 total looks on the game. Yeah, I, I had talked to Ian Hart at some PFF on Twitter just briefly about this. And as much as, yeah, we did see some volume for De'Aaron Johnson, I think Dontrell Hilliard played more snaps. And it was the perfect scenario for Kareem Hunt to get some rest because although the final score doesn't show it, they were winning by a, a lot. I think it was like 31 to 13 to 31 to like less than 20 at some point. You know, Dallas did mount a, a, an admirable comeback. But with Kareem Hunt coming in, he was questionable up until game time with, I believe, it was a groin injury. It made sense that if you have a multi-score lead, Kareem Hunt coming off a groin injury, and now they they lost Nick Chubb. They would want to get someone touches in a game that I don't want to say didn't matter because at the end it was actually kind of close. But in the middle of that game, it was almost unfeasible to see Dallas coming back. So it made sense for them with a lead to get Dearness Johnson in. Dearness Johnson is like an AAF player who runs a 4-8-40. Like a 4-8. I know people who can beat that. There are people in my apartment complex who I've seen walk faster <laughs> than that. That's how bad Dallas is, man. They coughed up 7.3 yards per attempt to the guy. Yeah. Yeah. So assuming they don't play Dallas this week, I don't think Dearness Johnson is a particularly, you know, above average or even average quality NFL player, you know, former AAF guy. 
I think Kareem Hunt gets the bulk of the bulk of the work. I think they extended him on the off chance that they either wanted to let Nick Chubb go or that this exact scenario happened. I don't think they're paying him money to be a committee back as long as he is the only guy. Obviously, he's a committee back when they have Nick Chubb, who himself is a great running back. But in my opinion, I think this is a Kareem Hunt smash spot just because the volume is going to be there. He should be priced up above 7K just for the volume alone, and he's 6,500. I know the ownership is there. I'm kind of fine eating that ownership, and let me see. He comes in, actually, as kind of a tear break. He's, he's you know, what is this number? Roughly seven, but there's like a almost a 10%. It's like a 9%, 8.5% ownership gap between him and the next guy, if I'm getting this right. So you're not eating a ton, a ton of ownership. It's not as bad as I think it is going up to, like, uh, David Johnson, who's the guy ahead of him. Much more ownership. So I'm actually quite fine playing Kareem Hunt this week. I think the ownership is well-warranted because of the price just didn't come up enough. Do you think there's an offensive lineman in the league that could beat the Ernest Johnson in a 40-yard? Yeah. Ooh. Tristan Wirfs. Yeah, Tristan Wirfs. That's good. Is Wirfs the one that jumped out of the swimming pool? 40 40-inch vert for Wirfs. He he beat CeeDee Lamb in the vert. That's a, did you see <laughs> did you did you see the jumping out of the swimming pool? Yeah. yeah onto dude, the Tristan Wirfs, those Iowa guys, man. Their strength insane. and conditioning coach. I yeah. know he's a racist, but he is really good at getting those players ready. <laughs> I don't follow college football, so I didn't know that. I didn't know that. He's he's what? He's like a verified racist? Yeah, he, he took a, a Iowa took a ton of heat. <laughs> this is way off topic. Iowa took a ton of heat because their strength and conditioning coach is a racist. Like legitimate, like, you know, hood-wearing racist? No, not like that. He said some, he said some things that shouldn't have said and i don't want to get in the details but okay that, I, I won't i won't ask you that came so far out of left field i have i had to inquire like, i i had no idea and kyle and i are sitting there we have no idea about a team strength and conditioning coach at the collegiate level so oh you, you I can't talk to me about these things laffy you can't you can't bring them up to me yeah i, I know i know penn state has to have a good strength and conditioning coach because every dude that comes out of there is a, is a GD free, but I did it's not great. know this about Iowa. Dude, if you, if any of us tried to jump out of the pool like that, even at our weight, we'd shatter our shins. <laughs> there's, there's no question about it. We'd be lying in a bloody mess at the bottom of the, the shallow end. So, yeah, these guys are insanely talented. I'm with you on that. All right, Tristan works. That's probably true. What do you guys think of Duke Johnson, though? I, I totally understand that this is way off the radar, Matt, but – if they do go run heavy approach here, forty one hundred dollars, is there really any guarantee that there's loyalty to David Johnson in this offense? Um, you just brought up Ian Harnitz, who was on the on the contrary show with uh, Alex Baker and myself on Saturday. In his Twitter bio, it says Duke Johnson is a three down back. Now, that's not necessarily verifiable proof that anything's going to happen this week, but there are some sharp people out there that believe Duke Johnson is a very good running back. I'm one of them. Uh, are, are, would you be willing to take shots at like sprinkling some exposure to him in at $100 above the minimum against um, a really bad Jacksonville team, especially given David Johnson's lack of efficiency? I won't lie, I hadn't considered that. And the game script, the way it projects, I think you certainly could do that. Houston favored in this game with a massive total. And there's enough question marks where I'm not confident David Johnson sees all the work. In a large field tournament, I think just based on those unknowns, you can certainly sprinkle him in there. And it's not going to take you a lot to be overweight on Duke Johnson this week. Like a couple lineups and he'll probably be over the overweight on the field. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, I'm probably even less so inclined to play Duke Johnson because maybe just I don't fall into that camp of Duke Johnson three down back. I only say that because we've had a lot of coaches, mostly bad coaches, but a lot of coaches have looked at him and said he plays a specific role and we are never under any circumstance going to expand that role, which is disappointing because I liked him coming out of college. He's mega electric when he touches the ball. But we have a large sample of coaches saying that Duke Johnson is not even like, not only is he not a three down back, he's hardly a one down back. Has so been a single- not awfully... Has there been a single good coach that's made that decision? I'm sure. No, agree. No, I agree. That's what I said. Like all these, probably most of his coaches now have like all gotten fired. Right. But it is still like I don't think it, you can just write it off as like these guys are all like bumbling idiots. They're kind of bumbling idiots. 
but they also have a lot of experience in the NFL, and there's no saying that Romeo Cornell isn't the next bumbling idiot. He might have been one of the bumbling idiots that got fired for not playing say, job. You, probably before his time. As I say, in your defense, I think Romeo Cornell's been fired more than anybody. So, yeah, yeah. valid points there. What about update uh, on Raheem Mostert? I found a, a quote from Kyle Shanahan that he says he's not optimistic on Raheem Mostert. So, jam and Jarek McKinnon, folks. Okay, there you go. What about here's here's another ugly one, but these things these are the things that need to be discussed, Matt. We're doing God's work here on the NFL Strategy Show. Um, what about Devontae Freeman? Like. Do we, Sal Vetcher made a great point yesterday morning. Check that show out if you missed it. All of everything's available on YouTube. That we don't really know if Devontae Freeman is washed yet because that offensive line is so bad. But he clearly began handling the, the bulk of the New York Giants workload against the, um, against the LA, uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Now he comes into a spot against the Cowboys who seeded 307 rushing yards. 307 rushing yards to Kareem Hunt, Darius Johnson, uh, and, and a couple other guys that a lot of people have never heard of before. Is there is there any merit to saying, all right, well, he played 54% of snaps. We knew that they were going to continue to work him in heavily. He came to the Giants, as his agent said, because he knew that he could get that bell cow roll with Saquon Barkley out. And the Dallas Cowboys have been so bad on the ground and both through the air that maybe Freeman can put up some decent numbers uh, at a price point that is only $600 north of the minimum on DraftKings. Oh, man, I actually like Freeman this week. And now I'm not confident he's going to handle all of the work. I think it will be some form of timeshare. We saw Wayne Gallman involved in there. I'm not sure why, but Freeman, never I think, goes certain, away. Yeah, he never does. But Freeman probably will handle somewhere between, I don't know, 10 to 15 carries as a rough estimation. Not carries, I should say touches. But this is a really nice game for him, even if they are projected to lose this game by nearly 10 points. It has a 54-point total. Both of these teams run a ton of plays. They run at a fast pace. New York has been fairly inefficient. It's 29th in plays per game. But if you look at seconds per play, they're ninth. So if they go up against a bad defense for the first time really all season, maybe this New York team can string together some drives, whereas they've been off the field quickly in their previous matchups. Ninth in seconds per play is pretty good. And Dallas on the other side, they're first in both seconds per play and plays per game. So we know they're going to keep pace. I really like this spot overall. I like the over. I like New York's ability to maybe stick in this game. So I think it's an interesting spot. All right. And I'm going to ask you about one more, Kyle, before we uh, transition to our wide receivers, tight ends, and then close it out with some of our favorite stacks, both chalky and contrarian. Antonio Gibson, he is clearly overtaking everyone else in this backfield. And there's no reason he shouldn't be in Washington. Uh, yes, I get it. McKissick played more snaps than him, but he's been utilized almost uh, almost exclusively in the passing game. So that's a little bit misleading. If you're looking at JD McKissick's workload, he's been used as a receiver. Antonio Gibson's routes are lower than I'd like. I really would have liked to have seen him running more routes, but he does appear to be easily the most talented, most efficiently producing uh, halfback in this, in this offense. And he's coming in against the Rams team whose run defense has actually been less than stellar is there any interest here in someone like Gibson despite the quarterback change? Cause I don't really think it makes a difference. Yeah, I agree. The quarterback change we saw last year, Kyle Allen, like ever, obviously ever Christian McCaffrey to one of the best running back seasons in NFL history based on that receiving role. Is that much to do with Kyle Allen or is it much to do with Christian McCaffrey? I would lean on the latter and say Christian McCaffrey is a black hole of targets regardless of who his quarterback is. But at least we have some confirmation that Kyle Allen is willing to just check down with reckless abandon. So that's good for Gibson. Like you said, the routes aren't perfect, but I still think we can project and have a solid receiving role. I don't think he's a terrible play. I love his price at 5K. He's going to have both a role as a runner and as a receiver. I hate to say like he does probably have more touchdown equity than your average bad running back but he's like he's a dude who actually has some spark to him. he's like quite you know efficient on a per touch basis so i have some interest in him i don't absolutely love him i think for me off of the, both of these cheap guys devonta freeman and uh antonio gibson who kind of fall in that same price range i would actually pivot down to damian harris only 4300 i think i'm not sure if this is still on the books right now because the was it's Twan gilmore tested positive so i'm not sure if you can bet this game but at one point it was like a double digit lean towards new england at home damian harris 17 carries so i believe rex burkhead's 11 
that's pretty impressive. He goes over and he actually hits exactly 100 yards. If he's going to get essentially a similar role to Devonta Freeman, but he's a massive home favorite on a team that has no choice but to run the ball. They're not throwing they, – they shouldn't be throwing the football. He should never throw the football with Brian Hoyer and Jared Sinem as your quarterbacks. I would pivot down to Damian Harris, although it's not uh, an indictment on Antonio Gibson necessarily. I just think Damian Harris projects pretty well for 4,300 and seems to still have quite low ownership. Yeah, he does. Matt, Damian Harris is going to be used in the Sonny Michelle role. He might just actually be better than him. You can't really anticipate him having any involvement in the passing game. So I think that's the one big disparity between Harris and, and Freeman. But the other disparity there, as Kyle mentioned, is assuming this game plays, uh, it is going to be a big favorite for the Patriots. Or the Patriots are going to be heavily favored. I, I'm back and forth on this because I actually have a sizable amount of respect for Denver's run defense. But at the same time, I don't necessarily know any other way. Or I, I don't think the Patriots will have a reason not to lean pretty heavily on the ground. Uh, so thoughts on Harris, and then we'll then we'll keep going here. I think he's fine. He's still going to be in a three-way timeshare, so I don't really think there's a strong chance he gets 20 touches. He's going to have to get there off efficiency. Denver's run defense has been surprisingly good for losing Von Miller, Draymond Jones, and Jarrell Casey. I'm not sure how they do it. I mean, maybe it's just Vic Fangio being a defensive-minded coach. He can put these guys in the right spots, or maybe it's a function of them playing the Jets on Thursday night. I'm not sure. But at 4,300, I think Damian Harris is worth a look. He's going to see enough volume at that spot. Talking wide receivers, a lot more, a lot more chalk uh, at the wide or at the running back position than wide receivers. Before we get started on that, I just wanted to let all you guys know, if you're new, welcome to the channel. We're happy to have you. We have content for literally any fantasy sport out there uh, here on YouTube, but also all of our premium content over at awesomeo.com slash join if you want to check it out. Uh, the one thing we've added recently that you should know about is all of our showdown content for football. And there's a lot of showdown slates uh, nowadays, Sunday night, Thursday night, uh, Monday night, huge prize pools as well. All of our ownership projections, player projections, rankings, top uh, top player tools, all of that stuff is only $3.95 a week for the Express Weekly Package. And that's on top of the other content that was already included in it. So we decided to add all of that to the weekly NFL Express Pass, all of the showdown content. So you're getting a ton of value there for less than $4 a week. But if you're someone that really wants to get into it and you want all of the projections and the top stack tool and the player ownership, which is all developed by the number one ranked DFS player in the world. He built all of this. He uses all of this. He's won millions of dollars with these tools. And it's the exact same ones on the site that he uses every day. Then you can go to awesome.com slash join and check out our awesome plus platinum packages. You can go weekly all access, which has baseball, basketball, football, UFC, NASCAR, PGA, League of Legends, literally, if they have contests on DraftKings and FanDuel, we have content for it behind and in front of paywall. All of our premium articles, the lineup builder, the incredible fantasy cruncher add-on, the best optimizer out there that you're going to find. All of that stuff available at awesome.com slash join. You could do monthly, which I think is the best bang for your buck. You want to go all out, you get the annual, save a bunch of money on it. But either way, we have everything you need to become a better, more skilled, and, well, of course, more profitable DFS player. Awesomeo.com slash join. And when you sign up, head over, sign into our premium Slack chat. You got people just like us who love sports, talking DFS and sports betting around the clock. Awesomeo.com slash join. Check that out today. We'll see you over there. All right, uh, Kyle, we'll go to you. What do you make of some cheap wide receivers here? Maybe we could do this. Let's do this. Let's tie this into our stacks. So, Jordan, let's go from pivots to stacks here. Jordan Klein producing. I think this will make more sense because usually our pivots are going to oftentimes end, end in stacks. What are some low-owned wide receivers that look good in specific games that you think could go off this week, maybe paired with a, a quarterback? So I have one that don't stack, please don't stack this, but I just thought it was really interesting. I wanted to bring up at top Demir Bird at minimum price, got like 10 targets last week and he's less than 5% owned. I would assume that that comes up, but I find that interesting. Like I was running initial, initial crunches and he's obviously at 3k getting 10 targets, getting jammed in all my lines. I find that to be interesting looking at guys. I actually want to play their quarterbacks with CD lamb, 6k under 10%. I know Mari Cooper is expensive in terms of both his price, seven, 7.4k. 17.9% ownership right now. We'll see how that shakes out at the end of the week. 
But if you want to get on Dak stacks, and we talked about how stupid his passing numbers are, they are unreal. They're unsustainable, but even if they come back down to earth, he could literally have the best NFL season in terms of passing yards. They could come way back down, and he could still have the best season. I think if you're playing Dak Prescott, you have to be looking at getting a guy like CeeDee Lamb into your lineups. I, I'm not sure how you guys feel about Michael Gallup. I still think this is CeeDee Lamb as the number two receiver in terms of targets. I also think you could probably run it back with Dalton Schultz as well. I'll talk about, about him if we talk about tight ends anymore, but getting a lot of volume. I think CeeDee Lamb is the key to unlocking your Dak stacks because playing Dak Amari Cooper is going to give you zero leverage. Single stacks are still being used way too high relative to double stacks. People should be double stacking more because it still unlocks your upside. I think the Millie Maker winner in the past four weeks has been quarterback, double wide receiver, opposing wide receiver. Bread and butter, you should just be playing more of that in your overall portfolio. So for me, Dak, Amari Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb, who his price is coming up, but his ownership isn't crazy right now, is something I would love to get myself into. Another one I'm looking at right here, this is a game that we've talked about that could be very exciting. Atlanta at home, Russell Gage, 5,100, assuming we don't see Julio Jones. We saw it with Julio Jones, he was getting targets. Without Julio Jones, he could be an absolute smash. Right around, I think, 5% ownership, if I'm eyeballing it right. 5,100 for the number two receiver for Matt Ryan, who could air it out 40-plus times a game. I'm going to buy in on that, even if you know Matt Ryan didn't look particularly great, and it killed me with Calvin Ridley. I'm still going to go back to that Matt Ryan stack now that we have some clarity, or now that we could potentially have clarity on the receiving core, whereas entering last, uh, not last night, I guess a few nights ago, there's a bit of ambiguity on how it would shake out. Turns out neither Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley would hit. I think that stack is going to be very interesting, and much like C.D. Lamb, Russell Gage is probably the key to unlocking it. The negative sentiment surrounding Michael Gallup right now is remarkable. Uh, and that was the exact same sentiment surrounding him in week three before he went off. So I have no issues getting back there. I'm general, genuinely concerned that his, I think his target share is fifth highest on the team, averaging five targets per game despite Dak throwing a thousand. I don't like that. But uh, if, if you're going to get Michael Gallup at virtually at very low ownership, what did you say he was coming in at? I actually, he's coming in higher than I thought. I think that'll come down uh, 13%. I, I anticipate that coming down. But Matt, what are we doing with some wide receivers here? Yeah, I don't know if I'm 100% there on the double stack still. I know it's previously been a very strong strategy to target, but those Cowboys games, I mean, they had 79 points totaled in that Falcons game. They were up at 69 in the Seahawks game. And then last week, they were <laughs> they were almost at 90 total points. So I think when the Cowboys aren't at a game that scores 70 points, I'm not sure the double stack will be as viable with so many other games totaling 50. That's a discussion maybe for another day. One game that's a kind of intriguing, really off the radar, is this Philly-Pittsburgh game. I think it's off the radar mainly because it has a 45-point total. Both defenses are really good, but both of these teams run a lot of plays. So if we don't see that defensive efficiency, I think there is the potential for a big spot here. I'm probably not going to target the Philly side of this game. But on the Pittsburgh side, you can get Juju at 6,700. His target share is maybe not what it was last year. Or even Deontay Johnson, who in his two healthy games had targets of 10 and 13. A 23.4% target share. His third game, he gets the concussion, leaves with just two targets and puts up a bagel. Neither of the ownership on these guys is very high. And the reason I'm on this game is basically just pace overall. Man. The double stack has been now when you let me just clarify this when you talk about and I apologize I was reading chat and responding to some questions when you talk about double stack are you talking about running it back with two or are you talking about pairing two with your quarterback. I'm talking yeah I'm talking about pairing two with your QB so uh, you and I had this discussion like playing Dak with Amari and Michael Gallup and that's or CD Lamb Amari CD Lamb whatever the combination you want it to be. It's been very profitable in the past. We haven't had games blasting over the overs like they have this year. And in the Falcons situation in particular, they've scored at least 69 points total in their last three games. Now, the, I do not think that's going to continue for the duration of the season. If it does, I mean, double stack your heart out. But I don't know. I think it's a conversation at least worth having. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I've seen... The thing is, the totals are so high right now. I don't know what adjustments to make. I think this is the same question you asked me uh, Monday morning on the strategy show, Matt. Like, should we be attacking things differently? Um, should we be attacking things differently now that the, the totals are, are rising and we're seeing a whole lot of different football played? I don't have the answer to that quite yet. If we talk about some tight ends, though, before we wrap this up, Kyle, 
There are very chalky tight ends this week, at least on Wednesday before we really settle in with this ownership. Kelsey and Waller are both north of 25%. Evan Ingram is at 16%. And I think this is the game where he could finally, you know, explode. And yes, call me stupid, but I will be getting to some giant stacks. It's going to happen. Uh, and then outside of that, it falls off a cliff. Everyone is half or less th- or half or less of the ownership than Ingram and a third of the ownership or less than Waller and Travis Kelsey. Any low owned targets you have here for me, it's, it's George Kittle at 5%. I love George Kittle this week. If he stays down there below 10%, I can only imagine I'll have a lot. Yeah. I love the George Kittle call one guy who at the exact same ownership right now, Dalton Schultz, if we talk about our Dallas stacks again, we do, I agree, we probably do need the Giants to take advantage of this terrible Dallas defense. And do I know if they can? I don't know. Daniel Jones is quite bad at, at being a, an NFL quarterback. Could they take advantage of it? You know, people said the same thing about Baker Mayfield, and I guess he only threw for 164 yards, but their offense took advantage of it. So you probably do need the run back to hit. Essentially, you need the you need the Giants to, to at least hang in the game. I'm not sure if they're capable of it, but at Dalton Schultz price, you actually probably don't even need that to happen. He's only 4,800. We've seen a very, like, he was clearly operating as the number one tight end on one of the most pass-heavy teams in the NFL. His past three games, 10 targets, six targets, eight targets, top 70 yards, two of those scored in both of those games. I think at 5%, you're getting a tight end who's attached to potentially the best fantasy offense in the NFL, and he's coming at 5% or less ownership. I don't even mind him to, I don't want to say leverage this game because he does need at least a decent game to go off, but I don't mind him as just a one-off in this game if you say you want to stack the Bills. The Bills' ownership right now is insanely low. It is incredibly low. Probably probably still not playing Bills tight ends. I, I don't think uh, – you know, I know we saw who's a Tyler Croft score two touchdowns two weeks ago. Not sure if we see that again. Don't know if that fits into the tight end conversation. But just in terms of pivots, if you ran one offs of Dallas and then you ran with like a Bills stack, I think the Bills ownership right now seems absurdly low. Sorry to get us off track, but that was something I was noticing as we were wrapping up the wide receiver conversation. Stephon Diggs, I, I know he's 7K, but his ownership is like sub 2%. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, do you want to tie in any low owned stacks here, Matt? Uh, I think we've touched on a lot of them. The Bills are one of those. Uh, I talked about the New York Giants. They will not be low owned, but they also have the highest top stack probability of the week in our top stack tool. The New York Giants is oh no, you know what? My fault. That's the Dallas Cowboys. The New York. I was reading that. I was going to say that does not make sense. The New York Giants have a lower top stack probability than their quarterback projected ownership right now. I'll still be getting to that a little bit. But uh, why don't you close us out, Matt? A couple stacks that stand out to you, or maybe it's just one that uh, is going overlooked and probably shouldn't be this week. And any tight ends also that you want to throw into the mix, we're willing to hear it. Yeah, quick. Ian Thomas at 3,400. He's someone who his opportunity has been backloaded to recent weeks because he was dealing with an injury early in the season. His route share is 69% on the year, but again, that's come up in the last few weeks. And just a couple tight ends, he's running more routes than right now. Chris Herndon, Jonu Smith, Tyler Higby, Rob Gronkowski, he's playing more than any of those guys. Finds himself in the best matchup of all time against the Atlanta secondary that is on like their 15th safety. And a couple stacks I like, Pittsburgh is one that's just really off the radar. Again, play volume is going to be there in that game. I'm actually with you on the New York stack. It's the first good matchup they've had all year. So I'm very, very interested in stacking some giants at very cheap prices. And Daniel Jones always bringing that rushing equity too. So I'm with you on that, Lafayette. Yeah, look, the, the, the thing here is that if everyone, if people are afraid of a bad team, it makes sense. And I know I'll, I'll get some I'll get some shit for this in chat and on Twitter. It's more than reasonable. I won't hold it against you. But Daniel Jones, and I'll say this again, has faced the Rams, very good secondary. He's faced the 49ers, even banged up. They've done a stellar job of limiting uh, deep passes and limiting quarterback production. The Chicago Bears and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who in my opinion have the best defense in football. He has had a very, very difficult draw. Now you face a Dallas team that has been in a complete sieve for four straight weeks. So yeah, maybe it's a battle of futility here. One of these guys or one of these in either uh, the offense for Dallas or the Giants or the defense for Dallas is going to succeed. But I don't think it's out of the question to assume that Dallas goes up early and the New York Giants are forced to throw and are actually able to move the football or who knows, maybe it's relatively close. Daniel Jones has been bad, but the matchups have been dreadful. Kyle, do you want to close it out with any other low-owned stacks that you might like for this week? 
Yeah, one other one that I think you could potentially target is Jacksonville. I know like it's a game that we haven't talked about a ton from their perspective. We mostly talked about James Robinson. I'm still just a modest believer in Gardner Minshew's ability to move the ball downfield. He gets you off of some of the popular plays. I'm not going to be super overexposed to it, but I think the Jacksonville sack is going to be like, you know, essentially zero owned. And we saw DJ Shark pop off last week. I think he is at least unique in the sense that he serves a specific role in this offense that neither Keelan Cole nor LaVisca Chenault serve. And LaVisca Chenault, when you get the ball in his hands, has just been absolutely dynamic. So for me, I think that is a stack that you don't need to do more than a handful of lineups of if you're even building like 150 and you will be over the field on it. And it has a chance of shooting out. This game has two terrible defenses and two offenses that can definitely move the ball. So I don't mind that side. I'm not in love with it, but I think relative to its ownership, which is going to be next to zero, you probably should have some exposure to it. Okay. Well, that'll do it for us. Thanks to you guys for hanging out. As always, remember, hit that thumbs up before you go. And if you haven't checked out our podcast network, we're available on all platforms where podcasts are available. You can listen to all of these shows that are updated and uploaded onto YouTube. And of course, if you're into sports betting, if you're in a state where it's legal, or you even just want to reference this stuff for your DFS research and fantasy research, I urge you, I, I, demand, I command you, Go to oddshopper.awesomeo.com. It's really awesome. We have some amazing stuff in the works. We have, I'm telling you, once you check this stuff out, you're going to love it. We're going to be launching something else with it in a couple of weeks, and it's huge. But you can track your bets. You can have watch lists to alert you whenever the bets that you're watching move in one direction or another. You can search or you can um, shop odds from all different books to get the best ones. And my personal favorite, when it comes to player props, you want to see where a guy's prop is, just type his name in. It'll show right up. It makes life so much easier when it comes to betting. And if you haven't gotten into it yet, you got to check out some of these offers. These books are just giving away free money. $500 free bets, $1,000 deposit bonuses, all of that through the links at oddshopper.awesomeo.com or just go through awesomeo.com. It's awesome. I promise you're going to love it. And it's totally free to use. We'll be back here tomorrow, Matt Savoca and myself, with this NFL strategy show breaking down all 12 matchups. And after that, it'll be these two fellas, Matt Kajewski, Kyle Dvorak, giving you a FanDuel strategy slate as well. Follow him, Matt underscore Gajeski on Twitter, at Kyle Tweets here, myself, at Lafay underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D, and Osimo at, at Osimo underscore com. We'll see you back here tomorrow.